Welcome to another episode of Sports with Sema. I'm Chris Emma, and it's my favorite time of the year. Fall is around the corner. Football season has kicked off. It's week two of the NFL season. Sweater weather has arrived, and yes, playoff baseball is near. And locally, the attention is on not just the 0-1 Bears who dropped the opener in Los Angeles, but on the White Sox who are preparing to clinch the AL Central crown and move towards a postseason run, which I believe will go deep into the month of October. For this episode, I brought on my teammate with 670 the score, longtime respected columnist and voice around Chicago sports. It's David Haw, and we had a good conversation, mostly focused on the Bears, but also touching on the Cubs and their offseason here, which begins now in just a few weeks, but also, of course, the White Sox and what they can do heading towards a potential playoff and World Series run. If you haven't already subscribed to this podcast, I would love your honest feedback. Give us five stars, four stars, whatever you're feeling about sports with Sema. Let's get right into it. Here's my guy, David Haw. This is Sports with Sema. Here's Chris Emma. Joined now by 670 The Score Zone, my colleague and one of the people I really respect more than anybody in this business. It's my guy, David Haw, joining me. David, how you doing? Hey, Chris, doing well. It's been a pretty interesting week with the Bears finally getting a game we can break down and no more speculation. Uh, looking forward to Sunday against the Bengals. Yeah, and you know, you wrote uh, postgame Sunday night, what, a few hours before you hit the, uh, hit the air <laughs> on Monday morning for Bears Monday. About how this the issues with this team go well beyond just the quarterback situation and the battle with Dalton and Justin Fields and all the collaboration and deliberation that's gone on with that. I completely agree with you. It, it, it was my sentiments from that game as well. It just kind of walked me through what you saw Sunday and the true problems it seems this team might have. Well, I, I think I saw a, a team, Chris, that kind of confirmed in the opener some of the things that we feared would would come to pass. And that was the fact that they have, you know, an, an incomplete roster and they're heading into this season. And there is understandable, you know, fixation on the quarterback position because, uh, you know, as, as a, somebody covering the team, you can't overwrite the quarterback. And, and certainly the quarterbacks are what make NFL teams win, but you need other elements. And the Bears are shorthanded at the corner position and they're secondary. Uh, and also the, the left tackle position where they're now down to their fourth option. And I think in both cases, you could point to examples where the limitations on the offensive line in terms of depth dictated a, uh, you know, a, a pared down game plan, certainly shortened the field for them in terms of their passing game and their lack of ambition, the ability to stretch the field. But I think more, uh, more concern was their defense and the secondary and the issues with Eddie Jackson and Tayshawn Gibson. And then you had the fact that you had, you know, two cornerback spots who were manned by people starting in their players in the first years, which aren't really impactful guys in Kino Valdor and Marquis Christian and the Rams took advantage. So I look, came out of the opener with uh, not a huge, huge uh, amount of surprise because I think that you knew that the defense was going to catch up to them. You thought the, the offensive line issues would get in the way. And then, by the way, they had this quarterback controversy, which people love to talk about. 
<laughs> That's what I've heard. I've heard a little bit about that. Uh, were you surprised by anything you saw on Sunday night or just surprised by the overall performance? Like, I know as the Rams, it's probably the most complete team in football, in my opinion, aside from maybe the Bucks. And I, I know how good the Rams are, but like, were you kind of caught off guard by how poor the product looked from the Bears end? Well, I'll start with a positive surprise. I, I was positively surprised and pleasantly surprised by the the Bears' ability to to run the football and David Montgomery looking like one of the top backs in the NFL. Statistically, he made that case last year, and and I think he had a tremendous offseason. And I I guess I didn't really expect to be um, that impressed with David Montgomery in the running game. As far as, you know, what surprised me from a negative standpoint, I, I think maybe that the Bears' biggest letdown in the secondary came from veteran guys. I thought the safeties would be more impactful in a positive way instead of having a, the biggest impact on the game in a negative way, both in the failure to touch the receiver at the 12 and also letting, um, you know, the Cooper Cup get behind the secondary in a blown coverage which according to, you know, I know, Chris, you're in the next-gen stats. And according to next-gen stats, that was the biggest uh, most uh, biggest distance between the receiver and the coverage, I think, in the last three years. <laughs> so it's been a long time since the secondary has been beaten that badly. And I guess I was surprised that, that maybe the biggest struggles came from the guys who you expected to come through rather than the guys that you thought would struggle. So... Overall, I guess I was disappointed in the product, um, and and maybe if there was a, a silver lining, it was the running game. Yeah, I just I don't understand what I'm watching with this team. Like, this is a GM now in his seventh season. It's a head coach in his fourth season, and they really kind of came out for this season saying, let's try your best to dink and dump and see what you can do offensively, play a little bit of complementary football and rely on the back of a defense that we all kind of knew was just for now – three years older past its 2018 shelf life. I mean, I just, I don't see what the direction was supposed to be this season beyond just developing Justin Fields. That, that's what caught me off guard with this entire thing is you saw the plan kind of come to fruition and the plan was for Andy Dalton to not throw beyond 10 or 15 yards and hope your defense can run into something and against an offense that's just elite. And not only was the Bears defense not not what you wanted to see of it, not that dominant form. It was bad. Like, I just, I, I'm just surprised by, it, it just, to me, I mean, tell me if you disagree, but it speaks to the level of comfort that Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace seem to have in their jobs. I think that's one way to look at it. I I don't know that they would necessarily, I don't think they're, I don't think they're consciously operating because they feel like they have job security. I think that at some level, they have convinced themselves uh, of a couple of things. I think number one, I think Ryan Pace is has been working under the impression that you know he talent evaluators. When you're not good at evaluating talent, I think you're the last person to know. And and I think that you know, it, it, think about somebody who, you know, Chris. We're both writers, and I think sometimes when somebody like is is, is real wordy or you know can't can't write anything but a 45 word lead and, and is overly descriptive. And, and, you know, it takes a lot of good editing and a lot of reinforcement for that writer to get the sense of, Oh yeah, now I see it. I didn't see it for myself. And I think to some degree that analogy applies to like Ryan Pace when he's evaluating talent and, and keeps missing on wide receivers and quarterbacks and, 
and, and, and just first round draft picks. And I think sometimes, so I think he's just trying to play a game of, uh, he, he's, he's hit, it's hit or miss with his talent evaluation. He's just not been very good at it. As far as Matt Nagy, I really think that, I really think that he believes in his football heart of hearts that his way is the right way to win a championship or to get better or to run a football team. And I think that he has this huge belief in this scheme. And as I, I wrote kind of, I think it was a preseason column and, and we've talked about this a lot in the air. I think until he's willing to abandon that devotion to the scheme and, and uh, you're, you become so reliant on, on things that you are conditioned to believe in, you know, maybe you have to do that when your quarterbacks, you know, Mitch Trubisky or Alex Smith or Andy Dalton, um, Mike Glenn, you know, or guys, not Mike Glenn because he never coached him, but Matt Nagy is a scheme-driven football coach. And he's somebody who didn't have uh, enough talent to play in the NFL. He played in the Arena League, and that's not a slight. That's just a, 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 a part of an explanation. So he's never really understood what it's like to have enough ability to make the scheme somewhat irrelevant and that's what justin fields allows you to do the minute they turn to justin fields is the minute that that matt nagy becomes less important as a play caller and to matt nagy the play caller that's a huge step to make and a huge sacrifice to make to matt nagy the head coach it's the smartest thing you could probably do but the problem is, is that he still considers himself a play caller and still allows himself to call the plays as a head coach and as a head coach, he's a pretty average play caller. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so it, it's, it's, very, it's very convoluted. And, and I just think what you have is you have two guys who are in charge of the direction of the Bears, and, and neither one of them, I think, are able to, to recognize their own shortcomings enough to correct them. Speaking of Justin Fields, I mean, it's – all the focus is on him. It's going to be a weird Sunday for Andy Dalton. Like you're facing your former team and he might get booed onto the field during intros. Like they should probably plan on introducing the defense instead of the offense. But uh, I digress it, it, with Justin Fields. I think I expected to see him play some kind of role early on, but I didn't expect to see him fourth play of the first game on the you know first <laughs> series. Did that change your outlook in terms of how they're going to handle this quarterback situation? Okay, I'll get to that in a second, Chris. But come on now. You want them to introduce the defense first. Do you think they'll boo Eddie Jackson? Won't that be even louder if they've inter introduced the defense? <laughs> okay, they'll boo Marquis Christian harder or Duke Kelly or whoever's <laughs> playing nickel. They're going to boo him harder than Andy Dalton. It, it, introduce point, the special point, teams, maybe. Here's Pat O'Donnell. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> point taken. Okay, I, I think that the crowd is going to be an interesting thing we could talk about. But, but okay, as it pertains to fields, I honestly believe that they are uh, right to slow play him into the mix. And I think that as much skepticism as Matt Nagy has earned and the Bears coaching staff and the entire organization has earned, that they're around him every day. If we're not, we don't know what we don't know about Justin Fields. And do they risk, you know, unfairly – um, creating this perception around Justin Fields that he has to adjust and adapt to things in terms of recognizing and diagnosing defenses and decision-making and holding on to the ball too long, which he has been prone to do. Yeah, that's, that's a big risk. But they also may think that in doing this, this way, they are uh, 
providing as much structure around him so that when he does play, he's not going to have to worry about, you know, dodging defensive uh, ends and pass rushers and blitzers uh, in the pocket every time he takes more than a three-step drop, which right now, Chris, he would be. He would be in harm's way the minute he gets, walks into the huddle. And, and I think that's part of it. So I understand why they're being hesitant and reluctant and slow and deliberate with the ascension of, of a guy who's going to be a star. That said, I'd be surprised if we go beyond the first month and he's still a backup. So let, let's, let's start with baby steps. Let him take consecutive snaps. <laughs> let him work in a, a series at a time rather than a play at a time. And then maybe you expand that role and then eventually he becomes your starter. That's all predicated on the fact that Andy Dalton, who I think has never, he, he has never been in a position where things have been designed to succeed. He's been designed, things have been designed almost to fail. Yeah. Um, Unless he succeeds, and I think you have a succession plan in place for Justin Fields, and it could be as, as soon as, uh, you know, two games, three games. I'd be surprised if it's past the first month. You've been, uh, you've been covering sports in this town for a number of years now and seen not only different Bears teams, but other teams here in town. Do you find, I don't know, do you feel sorry for Andy Dalton, Is, if that's the best way to put it? Like, are you able to look past – you know, the contract side and kind of feel for a guy who is not really begin given much of a chance by the city. You know, I kind of do. And, and I don't think that makes me soft. And I hope that it doesn't make, you know, people think that, you know, you're, you, you look at things like, I, I understand how it works in Chicago. I understand how it works in professional sports, the bottom line results or in business. Um, but, you know, Andy Dalton has been, what I don't like about the Andy Dalton criticism is that it, it, I think it goes overboard. Uh, I, I can I can recognize and and say and evaluate Eddie Dalton as a serviceable NFL quarterback who who I think is better off being a backup for the Bears because they have a supreme talent in Justin Fields, and I don't have to go after him from a standpoint of you know anything about. You know, I don't have to degrade him to evaluate him. And I think sometimes what happens is in pro sports in in big markets, these guys get um, it, it's hard to make that distinction for some people. And and I I don't want to do that. Andy Dalton started at 144 NFL games. You cannot do that unless you are a elite athlete, unless you are a a, a an elite type of uh, thrower passer he's made a pro bowl he's played at the highest level does that mean he is going to be that guy for the bears no uh do you do you, does it mean he's better than justin fields absolutely not but i think respect is all you, you're asking for so in judging in judging andy dalton i feel sorry for the fact that he's never been given a chance to prove that last year might have been the aberration in his career and he's better than people think and he's still around for a reason um i don't think that would factor into my you know uh, Matt Nagy can't pity him. Ryan Pace can't pity him. And I don't think they will. And I think they will show him the respect that he's earned. And that's why I just hope people when they're, you know, whether it's uh, Andy Dalton or, uh, you know, somebody with the Cubs or somebody, you know, on the Blackhawks or whatever, you just, you can be critical of somebody's performance, but you don't have to go personal in your criticism of that person. 
Yeah, I, I'm with you. I, I, I know it, it's, Harry seems to do the prefacing with Andy Dalton if he's a nice guy. He is a nice guy. He's a very nice guy. Uh, and I agree. I, I, I feel for a guy who I feel like it's turned into kind of an exaggeration of what he is as a quarterback or how bad he's perceived to be. Like, I don't think he's a bad quarterback. I, I don't think he's the three-time Pro Bowl quarterback he was in Cincy anymore, but I don't think he's certainly anywhere near what he was uh, in Dallas a year ago without much help offensively. I, I, I do feel bad for him. It's a guy who it, I think it's too easy to fall into the, the Mike Glennon trap of 2017, but it, it's such a similar parallel. Like, uh, I mean, it, it'd be nice if he succeeded. And from the Bears' perspective, like, th- this is the best route forward for them is Dalton plays well enough to get them to the playoffs and Fields is able to develop or play this kind of what I'm seeing more now is like a Lamar Jackson role for rookie quarterback. But I just, I don't know how realistic it is that Dalton's going to succeed in these kind of circumstances. I, I, I mean, I just, I struggle to see kind of the direction of this team this season beyond just once Fields takes over. Like, well, when you, when you because hear that. Yeah, Chris, that's a good point. And I think part of it is because he's not the kind of quarterback that necessarily is going to make everybody around him better. He can be a distributor and he can make sure that you're not going to lose a game. But I just don't think he's that guy where I think an athlete like Justin Fields elevates everybody's play, right? Because of just his ability to do things you don't expect. That shouldn't take away from anything that Dalton has accomplished as a as a NFL quarterback. It's just um, it's just the reality of, of knowing what you're seeing. So I interrupted you. I'm sorry about that. No, that, I mean that's that's what I was getting to. It's just. I hear what Matt Nagy says about Andy Dalton and the respect and the belief that he has it in him. I more so got lost a couple weeks ago. I texted with you about this. So after I heard it from Ryan Pace, when he said that this is about their belief in Andy Dalton, not whether Justin Fields is ready or not. I don't know a, how much I buy into what they're saying with fields at this point. I do wonder how ready they truly believe he is, but when you hear something like that from Ryan Pace, a general manager saying that it's about the 33-year-old guy in a one-year contract and not the rookie who you're trying to develop, like, what does that tell you? What, what do you take away when you heard those comments? It's a good question, and, and you're right for your intended to go. Um, and again, I want, I want to be respectful here. I don't think Ryan Pace is real good at communicating what he really thinks. And uh, even before we get to the point of, of whether or not you know, he can evaluate talent. I, I don't think he articulates well what he expects from a player and, and what he thinks about when he compares one player to another. I think that when Ryan Pace speaks about the Bears and the direction and, and how certain players affect that direction, I think that sometimes he becomes so caught up in how he's presenting himself and what he's saying is almost makes it easier to dismiss because he doesn't really say anything that I think is, is real. Um, I, I, it's not incoherent, but it's certainly not insightful, Chris, you know what I mean? And so when he said that, what he said, I, I feel like he's going to go back. And if he were to ever evaluate himself and study his, his news conferences and they're infrequent. So he has time to do it, but if he wanted to evaluate the way that he, you know, the way he evaluates, you know, football tape and he was a press conference tape, I think he would hear himself and say, what was I, what was I saying there? I really, I, I, that, that's a minus. You, you couldn't grade him because he didn't really communicate any insight and he didn't really indicate any direction that made a lot of sense because 
you can't in your right mind from a football perspective look at the two quarterbacks and and see you know the, a, a a light comparison a, let's just be honest about what we're watching here you know that's the one thing i think ryan has never learned about the chicago market and the and the maybe the bear fan base that if you talk to them like people and talk to them like people who understand what they're watching and you don't you know I think it's an insult to everyone's intelligence to suggest that what he said was true. Um, I just don't think he's real skilled at communicating. And I think when people aren't, then the re- the perception becomes reality. And and that's dangerous in, in a market like Chicago, especially as we know how much social media, how much just the that part of the job has become such a major part of these guys lives and and of the whole experience because of covid because we are, are at an arm's length so how you communicate and reach your fan base really affects the way that people value your brand and maybe eventually the value of your brand so i just think it was a big miss and um, but not the first time I want to go one more bears question and then i got a couple of baseball before i let you go but to cap it off with the bears is what would define a successful season in your mind? And on the other end of the spectrum, what would be enough to have a, to require a house cleaning at house hall? What, what would be enough to get to the point where George McCaskey has no choice, but to bring in a new GM and a new head coach? It's a good question, Chris, especially after Sunday night. Um, I do think that a successful season would be one that they made the playoffs. You know, if they, and, and I guess by virtue and extension of that, if you make, if you have a winning record and for whatever reason you don't get into the playoffs, then that might be by definition a success. But let's face it, last year they were eight and eight and they snuck in. So there's seven playoff teams. And if you're, if you're above 500, there's a pretty good chance in the NFC that you're going to get in. Um, that to me would qualify as a success. Uh, I think that it's unlikely. That's why, given the way this is, Started that they could rally and 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 be that team on you know on, against all odds, then that would be good. And I say that, and I mean that, and I say that to be. I think I believe that to be true. No matter who the quarterback is to get them to that point, if Andy Dalton were to somehow rally this team to go eleven and six and get into the playoffs, and Justin Fields doesn't play more than a cameo role in that process, there would be a ton of people disappointed, even more surprised but everybody should be pleased because it's about your football team making progress and getting to the playoffs. So that, that would be the the definition of success, making the postseason. If the wheels fall off and they are three and 14 or four and 13, or even like five and 12, and you see very, you see dysfunction, you see things that you just can't tolerate as an organization. um, You'd have to consider some changes at the top. And maybe, you know, this idea that you have to tie the general manager to the coach is not one I've ever really fully believed in. You think the the general manager has to go, but you give Matt Nagy another try? Okay, let's talk about that. If it's the other way around, you want both guys to go, let's talk about that. The context of your decision-making process on the morning after the last game of the season is impossible to predict as we sit here in mid-September. But I'm saying that you leave your your mind open to the possibility that you might have to embrace wholesale change because in the NFL, you can never say never about any possibility. 
I want to shift to baseball for a couple here and uh, starting, I guess, with the Cubs, despite the fact that they are kind of the second team and they're definitely the second team in town right now. What's your outlook for this offseason? Like, it's clear that, you know, unless Frank Schwindel is going to hit 80 something homers next year, they're going to need some more bodies out there. Do you expect them to be spending aggressively? I do I, until proven otherwise, because I'm a believer that if you have the money and you have the need, and you're in a market like Chicago, then there's no reason not to. There's no excuse not to. The pandemic, as far as baseball is concerned, uh, is over. There have they fans in the stands. They're getting revenue streams reopened. And if you're the Chicago Cubs and you're a major market team and who has a who wants to reestablish a proud tradition, then you better spend. I mean, there's, there's really, I mean, it's, a, it's, a, it's the obvious question to ask. I know why you're asking it, because there's doubt that exists because of the way the Cubs have unloaded and dumped salaries since going to back to the U Darvish deal. But if you're Tom Ricketts and you don't spend this offseason, you better have an explanation and you better explain and be accountable for why you're going that direction because – I don't think that it's good for baseball when you have a franchise like the Cubs pinching pennies. They have no reason to right now. They're really, there really is no excuse for them not to be aggressive and go out and find an outfielder, find a shortstop, maybe a starting pitcher, and, and be competitive in, in, a, uh, in the National League. Look, when they, when they announced they were selling everything and everything must go at the great Wrigley Field sell-off. They were 43 and 45. You know who was 43 and 44? The St. Louis Cardinals. <laughs> yep. That was July 8th. They're going to be – they could be in the wild-card playoffs. They, they could be the second wild-card team. So don't tell me you can't rebuild a competitive team in one offseason if you're the Cubs and you have the money that Tom Ricketts has to spend. I agree. Yeah. I, I mean, there's so many examples of teams that have done the, the painful rebuild and yada, yada. This isn't that anymore. I, I'm completely with you. There are so many more examples recently of teams like the Red Sox a few years ago who took a year off from contention, restocked uh, their organization and brought in young talent and, and went on to win the World Series. Like I, I agree. Go get John Gray. Go get Nick Castellanos, whoever it may be this offseason. And, and then you got your young guys, you know, your Crow Armstrongs and those you know, this young core you acquired, you got these guys coming up later on in 22 or, or 20 uh, late 22 into 23 build around this group. Uh, I, I'm completely with you on that one. Yeah. There's too many good players available that, okay. If you swing and miss then, okay. I, I'd like to know what they didn't like about Chicago and maybe why you weren't in the mix. And there are a lot of other things, but I, you know, Castellanos, Trevor story, Corey Seager until he signs resigns with the Dodgers he would he will be a free agent Carlos Correa until he returns to Houston he will be a free agent Chris we know the names so there's a know, lot out there can, too there's a lot out there and you can mix youth with experience and uh, guys making the veterans or the you know the the minimum first contract and and big ticket guys it takes it, it takes a lot of different types of players so like the White Sox I mean they they're a good example of that so Maybe we find the Cubs trying to mimic what the White Sox have done. Speaking of the White Sox, and last one, I want you to put you on the spot. Simple question. Give, outline their October for me. What do the White Sox do in the playoffs? 
I think the White Sox are going to be dangerous. I, I really do. And I'm not just saying this because, you know, I work in Chicago every day and my co-host is the biggest Sox fan that I know. <laughs> um, but, but I think Mully's going to be happy. I think there'll be a lot of happy mornings. It won't be easy, but I could see them. I, I could see them in the World Series. I'm not going to stand out here and predict. Uh, and I'm not, yeah, I'm not a no-to-speak guy. And boy, look, I'm trying to be outrageous. Um, but I really think the Sox can win the pennant, and I think they can get to the World Series. I don't know if anybody can beat the National League winner. I don't know that if, whether it's the Brewers, uh, the Giants, or the Dodgers. I really think the World Series winner is going to come out of the National League this year. Uh, but I, I would be, uh, I would be surprised if it isn't. And I, but I do think the White Sox are in a great position to be the American League rep and to win a pennant. And if they win a pennant. This is going to be this is a special season. It feels like it, and I can see them doing it because of their bullpen, because of their starting pitching, but mostly because that lineup, one through nine, very, very dangerous. I can see them getting hot at the right time. It's the most wonderful time of the year, right? You got football season beginning in earnest. You got playoff baseball coming and local interest for that as well. It's the best. It's great, Chris, and you're doing a great job working hard, covering it all. I don't know how you do it, but you do do it, and, and I appreciate uh, you know taking a few minutes to talk and uh, to keep up the good work. Well, you know, I love your work. I, I've been reading you forever. Love having you as a teammate. So thank you so much for joining me. I'm not that old. Forever. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Chris. I wouldn't have it any other way. Your eyes in the champagne got me spinning like a This is Sports with Sema.